Well, I want to talk this morning just about 1 Corinthians chapter 4, reading really from, uh, well, let's say from verse 1 down to verse 5. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, that he is a minister of Christ and a steward of the mysteries of God. And it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But he then goes on to talk about who is the judge of that faithfulness. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yes, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing against myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. In the context here, Paul is writing to the Corinthians who are very critical of him. And you can be sure there was all kind of slander and uh, misinterpretation of Paul's actions, uh, etc. And of course that's very hurtful in a a human uh, sense. And so he describes here how he deals with it. And he says that what you think of me is a very small thing. And that is the message I want to try and get over that what others think of us and how they judge us is a very small thing because the only ultimate judge is the Lord now we all I think have the idea that uh, I don't really care what people say about me I don't care what people think about me and whenever you find yourself insisting that uh, I believe something very very strongly and that is my credo in life my position You need to just stop and make sure that it really is, because very often that enthusiasm to insist upon a position is actually uh, hiding psychologically something. And I think our insistence that I don't care what people think about me, uh, you need to just stop there, because is that really the case? And I don't think it is for any of us. We're all only human, and we have this animal sort of... uh, fear of attack and that desire to justify ourselves and it's very strong within human beings and we need to just face that and this is of course the the reason for so much relationship breakdown between persons within families uh, within ecclesias within churches within communities that they said this about me or she implied that or he wrote that about me or you said that and okay so it was said and yet the bottom line is that this should be a very small thing and is it a very small thing for you and I that he said that or that she implied that on a micro level it can be just uh, you know with your own kids or with your partner just for a half second or it can be on a, on a bigger level that drags other people into it, that uh, results in a big, a big scandal and a big blow-up and relationship breakdown. And, you know, once relationships break down, in my experience, it's very difficult to rebuild them. And often those divisions that are caused between persons and groups of people often never get resolved. And so I want to say that that is a very small thing if only we accept the simple truth of the fact that there is only one judge. If I said to every one of you, do you believe that in the end there's only one judge? Everyone would put their hand up and say, sure, of course. But the implication of that is much deeper. 
Now, what he says here about um, there is only one that judges me, so I, it doesn't matter to me what you think of me, uh, is picking up what he's earlier said in chapter 2, verse 15. He that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So he's saying that the real spiritual self, the person he's talked about there in chapter 4, uh, verse 5, the hidden things of darkness, the counsels of the hearts, and that is the essential being, the essential person, that person, that spiritual man, of chapter 2, verse 15, is judged of no man. He doesn't say, let no man judge you. He says, it is judged of nobody. Nobody judges that. And insofar as we, we can cling on to, to what is written there in chapter 2, verse 15, that you yourself, you are judged of nobody, of no man, apart from the Lord. We've got to live out in status what we are, sorry, we've got to live out in practice what we are in status. And we are judged of no man, but only of the Lord. Now, that is a ladder with which to reach the stars, it seems to me, in personal relationships and personal being, that if in the end all those critical eyes that we perceive in this world, looking at us, judging us, forming an opinion, giving a score out of ten or out of five, or whatever it might be, that actually they're not there because I am so in awe of the fact that I stand before only one judge and I myself am not judged of you. And of course we know that we should not judge in the sense of condemning and yet we know that people do it but more fool them because there is only one judge. Now let's think a little bit about this one judge. Paul in Romans 8 uh, verse 1 says that now we are not condemned we are not judged and as you probably know the Greek word for judge and condemn is the same we are not condemned, we are not judged if we are in Christ because we have stood in the dark and been condemned according to the metaphor of judgment in Romans 8 but then we have been declared right and we therefore are going to live forever when Jesus comes back. That is the, the bottom line message of all the metaphors in Romans 1-8. to That yes, we are condemned by God, not man, but actually, who is he that condemns? There is nobody in the witness box. Because we are now in Christ, and we have been justified. And this is that legal term for declared right. And the judge turns out to be on our side. It turns out the judge was the very one who loved us to the end and died for us and rose again for our justification. And so John puts it, John 3.18, 5.24, that he that truly believes in Christ is not condemned, is not judged, but has passed from death to life. Now, that is the most ultimate truth. It's almost too good news to believe that we have been judged and accepted by grace, by, by the only judge. And so, what men judge us as is pathetic. So what? It's a very small thing. So the fear of criticism and the fear of human judgment should not be a factor in our lives. And yet it is in the lives of so many. It's why I think there are so many uh, potentially very uh, creative, artistic people maybe, uh, and people who could really do something, and it's not just a few people, that's all of us, actually, 
But the fear of criticism and human judgment leads them to pull their head in and have the instinct of self-defense and self-preservation uh, aroused, and we defend ourselves as we would against hunger or impending death. And yet the radical implications of acceptance by grace have got to burst through into all that so that we now don't fear. Write your poem, your novel, your whatever is in your, your head and heart, uh, not fearing human judgment. Because what is it? That fear of criticism is what stops so much uh, relationship, the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, the creativity that God in His Spirit wishes to lead us into. Uh, preaching work, etc., thinking about the Scriptures, writing about the Scriptures, uh, so many things. Oh, they might say this, it could appear that we this or whatever. But we have been judged already. And we, therefore, should go forth rejoicing in that, that by God's grace, if the Lord comes back now, I will be saved. So then, it's not the millions of watching eyes of society around us which should uh, control how we think and how we see ourselves. The only view of us that is worth anything is the view that Jesus has. And we have been condemned uh, sorry, we have been condemned, and yet we have been declared right. And he says, chapter 4, verse 4, I don't know anything about myself, against myself, but I am not hereby justified. In other words, he says, as he says elsewhere, when he's on trial for his life, I have a good conscience, to this day. But he says that that, even that, is not that significant because there is one that judges me. So another implication of there being only one judge is that my own conscience also is not my judge. Now that starts to cut a little bit deeper because the argument that it's okay in my conscience is not the road to justification. Remember Jesus says that there is one that will judge us at the last day, one thing, and that is the word that he has spoken. It's not that our conscience is going to jump out of us at the day of judgment and stand there and judge us in accordance to how far we lived in accordance with it. We may know nothing against ourselves, but we are not thereby justified. So conscience, and maybe we could discuss this afterwards, but conscience is important. I, I mean, there are, there's Bible teaching about the significance of conscience. Uh, you know, Paul later in Corinthians is going to talk about that uh, in the context of meat offered to idols but we have to have it in balance because that conscience is not our ultimate uh, justifier yeah, there are people who get conscience smitten about all sorts of things like David did um, with the, uh, the business about uh, all Israel uh, suffering the plague for not paying the temple tax and, you know, your conscience can beat you, beat you up over things that it shouldn't do, and it can also let you go over things that it shouldn't. And I think the words of Jesus in Luke 11.35 are relevant here. Take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. And I think that that's the same thing. Don't say it's okay in my conscience. That is, I think, the dark light that he's talking about. So there is one thing that will judge us, and that is the word that I have spoken. That's John 12:48. 48. 
Now he says there that he that judges me is the Lord. And he's actually quoting, when he says that, from one of the servant songs about Jesus, the servant. Let's just go over to that. It's in Isaiah 49, verse 4. And he's quoting, of course, from the uh, the Septuagint. uh, Isaiah 49, verse 4, where Jesus, in, in the spirit of prophecy, says... I have labored in vain, and I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. So when Paul says, He that judges me is the Lord, that's what it says in the Septuagint of Isaiah 49 verse 4. He that judges me is the Lord, and my work is with my God. So then, there's a number of implications uh, from this. One is that, A servant's song about Jesus is quoted by Paul about himself. And you see him do that a number of times. There's a time in Acts 13 where uh, he justifies his preaching to the Gentiles by saying, I am the light of the world, quoting from a servant's song, and the Gentiles will see uh, the light of the servant. And he says, And therefore the Lord has commanded us, saying... I have set you as a light to the Gentiles. So then he saw all that was true of Jesus as true of himself. The servant songs talking about being the light to the Gentiles, talking about how the Lord is the servant's judge. He applies all this very eagerly to himself. That's the implication of having been baptized into Christ. All that is true of him becomes true of us. It's not that we are to look at him as a kind of distant saviour who lived 2,000 years ago. We are to trace the line of continuity between him then and me today. That who he was and is in this world is who we are to be. That's why he says, I am the light of the world, and he says, you are the light of the world. And so as the seed of Abraham was to be a blessing for all nations, so are we to be. In small things, big things, small things. Uh, a blessing to others. In kindness, in forgiveness, in gentleness, in acceptance, uh, in generosity, in all these things. We are, as it were, the Jesus to this world. So then, another thing I notice here in Isaiah 49.4. My judgment is with the Lord, and my work is with my God. My judgment and my work are put in uh, parallel, just as the Lord and my God are put in parallel. So then, the works that we do, that is the life that we live, day by day, this is our judgment. The judgment, in its essence, is going on now. It's not that God has shut the book and is looking somewhere else, and when Jesus comes back, the books get opened, and he'll go through it all and sort us out and see how we got on. No, we are standing, and again, this is Paul's metaphor in Romans 1-8, to we are in the dock right now. And our actions right now, and our living right now, our work, not just in our deeds, but our, our life, uh, is there right before judgment. And in that sense, because uh, we know the judgments of God in, in one sense, uh, we are playing out our own day of judgment every day that we live, every hour that we live. We are living in the judgment presence of God. And yet, if we are the servant, and if all that is true of the servant becomes true of us, then 
we therefore will not be condemned because Jesus obviously is not condemned and that is what we have to remember as we have this sense that we are living right now in the judgment presence of the Lord let's go back to 1 Corinthians 4 uh, 3 and 4 well, verse, uh, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 4 he that judges me is the Lord not he that will judge me is the Lord but he that judges me and I think that present tense is uh, significant because as I say we are right now in the judgment presence of God of the Lord so there's also something that arises out of this let's not try to curry favour with people Proverbs 29:26. many seek the favour of the ruler or the judge as uh, it should be uh, many seek the favour of the judge but every man's judgment comes from the Lord now who is the judge when he says many seek the favour of the judge the judge is the woman next door the judge is the brethren at church the, the judge is all those critical eyes that you perceive looking at you many seek the favour of the judge but every man's judgement comes from the Lord that I think may have possibly been in Paul's mind as he writes here to the Corinthians that the false claims of others can do nothing to ultimately damage us before God so don't seek to impress uh, that's a big thing I can just say it quickly but you know that's got huge implications in life don't seek to impress those whom you think are judging you instead take the attitude that you are not my judges because he that is spiritual chapter 2 verse 15 the spiritual man himself is judged of no man so the favour the seeking of favour of making good impressions this should stop and unfortunately in church life ecclesial life it very often happens that that there is all this kind of uh, all these sort of games that people play of trying to impress others and manipulating this that and the other and it's all quite wrong because ultimately the only judge worth bothering with is that of uh, judgment is that of Jesus and verse 5 and when he comes he will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts and then shall every man have praise of God now that idea of praise of God is quite mind-blowing I think that it's perhaps to be connected with how Jesus will say to the, the faithful in the day of judgment well done, when I was hungry you fed me when I was thirsty you gave me something to drink when I was naked you clothed me and they're going to say no Lord when did we do that? we didn't now it's a pretty uh, convicted person who at the day of judgment stands in front of the Lord Jesus with eyes as a flame of fire the judge of all the earth the king of the cosmos and says you got it wrong you are wrong you must be absolutely convicted to the core and so those who will be in God's kingdom the faithful are those who are convicted to the core that they didn't do all those things and he says yes you did you did and by going through all those as it were good deeds then he's really uh, saying to them that I praise you for the way you've lived your life very difficult for us to accept but that is I think every man having praise of God at the last day
And at that day, of course, the hidden things of darkness and the counsels of the hearts will be revealed, will be brought to light. It's a similar idea to what you've got in Luke 2, when Simeon was cuddling the baby Jesus in Luke 2, 34 and 35. And he says about this baby Jesus, a sword to Mary, he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, implying that the spear thrust into the side of Jesus also went into the heart of uh, Mary, which uh, a mother could uh, can understand, uh, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So he there, pierced upon the cross, would lead to the thoughts of many hearts being revealed. And that word for revealed is what you've got here. Uh, make manifest the counsels of the hearts. So as we come before the Lord Jesus crucified and on the cross we have a a sort of a foretaste of the day of judgment because the more we reflect upon him there the more we should be convinced and convicted of our own failures and the more you get in touch with yourself that the counsels of the hearts the thoughts of many hearts are revealed who too? not to God, I mean he knows anyway but revealed to ourselves And this is why a self-examination and self-knowledge, as I would put it, at the breaking of bread is quite appropriate because it's elicited by reflecting upon him there, pierced in the very end for us. And so then we are counted as in him. And that is the bottom line of our salvation. And there's just one little indicator of that, again, in, in the context of the breaking of bread, in chapter 5, that we just read here in verse uh, 8, let us keep the feast, and I think he means the breaking of bread, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now he said, purge out the old leaven, verse 7. They had the leaven of malice and wickedness. And he says, you've got to get rid of that, verse 7, that you may be a new lump, even as you are unleavened. Now, what does that mean? Were they leavened or unleavened? Well, you are unleavened, but you've got to purge out the old leaven. I think he's saying, be who you are by status in practice. Before God, as you break bread, you are unleavened. But actually, in reality... The reality on the ground is that you've got the leaven of malice and and bitterness. Get rid of it. You are seen by God as unleavened. So then, act as God sees you.